Welcome back, Blue Jay fans, to another episode of Blue Jays Bites Podcast. I'm Bryant Ott from whiteandbluereview.com, Crate and Otter on the site. And joining me tonight is Matt DeMoranis. Matt, welcome back to the show. Excited to have you here and our first podcast of 2017. Happy New Year, buddy. Absolutely. Happy New Year to you. How'd you celebrate? Well, I joined about 18,500 of my closest friends um, for a, a little basketball game you might have read about or or caught a little bit of. Creighton hosted some team like Villanova. I don't really know where that where that's from. but uh, You uh, can't be saying that name right. That doesn't sound that right. That does not sound right. That sounds – is that Spanish? Is, I don't is know. Spanish? Weird. Uh, yeah, so rang in the new year with – kind of a gut punch loss i'm not really one for moral victories and i don't really know because i'm not on the pulse like you are um what was what was the uh what was the prevailing sense around the team immediately following that 80 to 70 loss to the reigning national champs uh matt and then maybe the day after i know you were at practice um, kind of what's the sense of how things went down, especially those last five or six minutes against the Wildcats? Yeah, I don't think anybody was really into moral victories on the team either, so you're not alone there. All right. Uh, there was mostly just disappointment across the board because, you know, Villanova is what they are. Am I saying that right? Is what they are? Who, who They are who they are? I Easy mean, they're Denny the Green. Easy Denny Green. <laughs> I mean, they're really good. They're obviously really good. I don't need to, like, tell you about Villanova everybody should know that story by now but I mean it's 66 66 with what under just under five minutes to go I mean yeah and, and like you said Creighton's got 18,000 people plus backing them up so I feel like you know most of the players I talked to felt like that was something that they kind of let get away and it's weird to say that because Villanova is as good as they are so you know it's like how do you how do you take the good with the bad in a loss to Villanova? But I mean, immediately after the game, it was mostly just, you know, it was mostly just not, it was mostly just feeling like they, you know, like one they wanted back right away. I mean, I think, uh, Maurice Watson Jr. outside the locker room was, I mean, he wasn't inconsolable, but you could tell, you know, just based on the things he was saying and how he was, you know, just a general mood that he wasn't, that he felt like that was something that he kind of regrets right away. Um, especially the two fouls in the first half, he, he really blamed himself for for taking himself out of the game that early when Creighton was on a run and kind of putting Villanova in a hole. So, you know, I know people armchair quarterback that thing and say two fouls, let the senior, the fifth-year senior point guard kind of play through that a little bit. And, you know, Mac did. He let him play you know, after those two fouls in the second half, but you know, early he kind of put him on the bench. Um, but Maurice blamed himself for that. Those, I mean, if, and if you went back and watched the two fouls, I mean, one of them was on a, you know, one of them was on a poor box out, just going for a rebound, and the other one was on an offensive rebound they gave up, and he tried to steal it away. You know, just coming from the backside, tried to strip it away, and ended up fouling uh, Daryl Reynolds and knocking him over. So, two fouls that. You know, didn't prevent baskets. They didn't, you know, they weren't really, they were 50-50 plays, and they were really fouls that, you know, he felt he shouldn't have got and that he thinks he should be better at in that situation. And that was kind of his his disappointment was that he took himself out of a game that Creighton was really starting to get control of. And, um, you know, his, his attitude, 
kind of filtered throughout the team. They they thought they let that one get away. Sure. <laughs> and coupled with Justin um, Patton also picking up two early fouls, so you sh- you know it, it's hard for that team to go long stretches of time without Maurice on the floor running the show just because of how important a cog he is to what they do. But then you couple that with Justin being on the bench for an extended amount of time. Not that he's not missed big chunks of time. I mean, just for a lot of different reasons, right? But Yeah, and we've talked – and I just talked a little bit about, I guess, Maurice's two fouls that he got being poor ones. I don't remember Justin's first, but his second one, What's what? He caught the ball <clears throat> about 20 feet away and drove to the rim and just ran a guy over. I mean, that's yeah. not just that's, that's not just the game. That's a silly second foul pickup right there. So Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure he's heat-checking a little bit because he started off the game very well. I mean, the Jays as a team, you know, they they bump up to, you know, a 10-point margin five and a half minutes in, and things are looking, you know, this, besides how they looked, shit. I mean, things were sounding incredible. That building was... Yeah absolutely having its roof blown off and then yeah i mean it just kind of kind of stuck a little craw in things um and you know i i was just interested your take being down around the team after the game being near the bench just what 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 things felt like to you um amongst the coaches and the players and and seeing kind of how close they really were there to um, not that they haven't made statements already. <clears throat> I mean, I just got done watching Wisconsin beat Indiana in Indiana on their home court. I mean, that win is looking better and better as the weeks go by. But they've pl- they've plenty they've put plenty of a resume together. But man, that would have been just you talk about coulda woulda should is that would have been a really great um, masthead to have on their resume. I just, yeah, I just think it's it's twofold a little bit. One, it's big picture in the fact that. They want to win a Big East regular season title, and to do that, they feel like home court, especially their home court, is a factor that they should be able to defend on a nightly basis. Because they should, they feel like well, every yeah, game I mean, they, they shouldn't have an energy problem because the crowd is going to be sold out for most Big East games, and they feel like that's something they need to protect. That's nine games they need to have in order to compete for a regular season title. Because winning down the road is going to be what it is. I mean, really, if you think about what's it, what's it taken to you know, go undefeated, or how should I say this? What's it taken to win this conference since they joined it? What were they, 14-4 and four in Doug's senior year? And they, and they, they, didn't, lose it. Yeah. they didn't lose at home, right? So they went 5-4 and four on the road, yep. right? Right. So they went, they were over 500 on the road in conference play. They went undefeated at home, and they still finished second. And that was with two wins over the team that won it. So yeah. they, had, they had a tiebreaker scenario set up, and they still lost to the league by two games. So... The margin for error, and they know this based on their experiences in it, the margin for error isn't that great if they want to win a conference title or at least you know be in the running for it in the last day of the season. So they know, regardless of Villanova being the undefeated reigning national champion and ranked number one, they got to protect home court number one in the big picture, and they didn't do that. So well, that's that was the what... first thought that entered my mind as I was walking out to the car after the game was, shoot, there goes our chance at a Big East regular season title. And it's not because the team's not good slash great. Right. They are, but, I mean, just the way this league has broken down, the the margin for error is so slim that, like mm-hmm. you said, you have to have those home games. 
And, you know, it's not the only time that Jays are going to get tested in league play at home. I mean, Seton Hall for a good portion of that game on Wednesday night, pretty salty. You know, Xavier's coming to town and Butler's coming to town. And, you know, one of these teams is going to, you know, really challenge the Jays just as much, if not more so than Villanova did. And sure, we might hit a couple more threes, so we might play about the same and everything will look fine at the end because we knocked down some open Jays. But, um, you know, you you think about what it's going to take to win a regular season title and the team and the makeup that they had this year. I know Zach being hurt kind of limits some of their depth in the in the post. Martin got in the game for a little bit on Saturday, but, you know, you really had to have these home games if you had any realistic shot to win an outright title. I mean, obviously the tiebreakers are what they are, and, and you can – it wouldn't shock me to see the top four – teams in this league jumbled up within a you know within a game of a, a couple of, of spots but you know it'd just still be nice to hang one of those banners uh and you figured two of our best teams in the last six to seven years had legitimate shots and um not to say you know that yeah it not to say happen, that over, right, right. No. it's not like it's not over by any means but i mean this definitely was <clears throat> a quote-unquote setback in that regard because you know, you don't want to lose at home, and you certainly don't want to lose at home when you, I guess, you know, Villanova was the only team in the conference that's going to win on Saturday. In that arena, with the way Creighton got out to a start, no one is going to recover from that. Agreed. Only the team with the moxie of a Villanova, the team that's been experienced and had those types of games, and, you know, I mean, there's a lot of guys back from the team that won the national title last year, including the guy who hit the game winner, the national player of the year candidate, for crying out loud. So, I mean, Villanova is the only team with the makeup to recover from what Creighton put on them early in that game. Um, but, I mean, Creighton's not going to come out like that every game. That's the thing. So, yeah, it definitely was a setback in that regard, so they're going to have to refocus. But, man, how quiet was Chris Jenkins' 21 points, it seemed like. I mean, he was pretty stealth. Yeah. And he just – he just you look at the box. I mean, Jalen Jenkins and Hart just fill it up for him, and they get some decent finishes by – from their small lineup with – Pascal and yeah, I was just really, really impressed with what they've been able to do because they're not deep either. It and felt like Jack Reeves were at big times though. I mean, what's up? It felt like to me, it felt like Jenkins's points were louder than the twenty-one he had because I felt like he hit big shots. With he had some silencers, that's for sure. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. <clears throat> um. So now the Jays have to go to league leader St. John's. I just wow. want to get that recorded for posterity's <laughs> sake because we might not hear that again for a long time but you know all kidding aside you look at a team that was able to p- pull up two quick wins in big east play and now st john's is going to host the blue jays wednesday night at Carneseca arena what's the prevailing thought i know you were able to talk to some folks today what's the prevailing thought as the team heads out to new york for for that roadie um, well, I mean, they're certainly concerned about what St. John's can do to them as far as attacking with smaller lineups. Um, I think the way St. John's started the year out, they had, you know, I think they lost to LIU Brooklyn in, in Brooklyn or at the Barclays Center, I think. Yeah. And then, you know, they had a transfer. Um, you know, their big guy, Seema, left the program. I think he went to Oklahoma State, or if I'm not mistaken. But, uh, you know, it was kind of looking down again. It was looking like – you're, you're starting to hear the chatter, like, can Chris Mullen actually do this? But, um, yeah, Shamori Ponds, man. On fire. So, yeah, I mean, that's not a, that's not a miss for Creighton because I'm not sure he, would, he wouldn't he would have had the role 
that he has at St. John's this year, at Creighton this year, because of all the firepower they have in experienced players. But, man, that guy is good. Yeah. 6'1", 170-pound left-handed freshman guard from Brooklyn. The type of guy that the Jays, they want to go in and try to get from the city and goes to St. John's, and he is the defending Big East Freshman of the Week. Um number two recruit in New York City uh, by ESPN. Not that I'm a recruit Nick by any means, but he was a name that would have signaled a big-time um, get for the Jays just in that footprint that they're trying to get further established in um, as they expand things out in the Big East, yeah? Yeah, so he's – yeah, yeah, and he's definitely a problem. So <laughs> there, was a lot of, there was a lot of focus on him. I mean, Caleb Joseph was – was doing his best to impersonate him in practice. Um, you know, and Caleb's a top 50 guy himself, so he wasn't, you know, he gave Creighton a good look this week. Um, and I guess the rest of it was just kind of, you know, um, Monday was, they, they had a day off Monday or day off Sunday. I, my weeks are all, my days are all messed up because of New Year's, but they had a day off on Sunday, and that was kind of a mental day off for them. I mean, all the players said so, so. Um, because they just invested so much in that Villanova game. I know it's weird to say that they had a, a mental day off with, you know, three games into the conference in the conference play, but there was just so much put into that Villanova game. You know, so much time invested into winning that and they didn't, you know, to come up short, they kind of that was a that was a you know, a more of a back breaking loss than just one loss to the number one team in the country. So Sure. Uh, it took some time to recover, but you know when they hit the practice floor Monday, um, it was back to basics. I mean, they hit like a it was like a drill. It was like a you know just full of the fundamental drills and all the things like because you know they made some simple you know simple mistakes against Villanova. There's little errors in communication that led to baskets. I mean, Villanova doesn't let you not pay for those mistakes. They're backbreaking when you make those mistakes against a team like that. So, you know, it was it was really they focused a lot on the fundamentals and doing all their different types of closeouts and their shell drills and, you know, communicating and all that sort of thing. And it was a it was a tough practice. I mean, it was loud. It was one of the louder practices of the year. Hmm. Good energy. You know, everybody seemed like they were really locked in. So um it was a good it was good that they had Sunday off because I felt like they got to clear their heads a little bit and pick themselves off the mat and just kind of recover a little bit from all they had invested into Saturday. And then I think they're, you know, I think they're poised to be back on track. But, you know, like I said, St. John's isn't isn't untalented, that's for sure. And that's, you know, I think a piece here is even though you look – when the season schedule comes out and you say, okay, a roadie, it's kind of like last year, right? The roadie early at St. John's and they get that win. And you talked about it earlier. I mean, winning on the road is going to be difficult no matter what. Um, is it better that St. John's is 2-0 and right now? And I know they probably would say they're never looking past any teams, but, you know, St. John's routinely the last two years – um, kind of the doormat there in the league, uh, right. along with DePaul. I mean, is it better for attention's sake for the players? And I don't know, fans don't really count, but to have everybody kind of g- focused on, okay, these guys were able to pick up two wins early, can't take them lightly, yada, 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 or is that just something that fans talk about and players don't really deal with? 
No, no, it's something that it's all inclusive. And don't you think that it's better than St. John's is? Oh, for sure. I mean, I mean, St. John's isn't just two and zero in league play. They're they're two and zero in league play, coming off of a thrashing of Syracuse on the road. Right. Um, they beat Butler to start off league play, then beat DePaul. So I mean, and you, and you look at the way their backcourt is performing. I mean, don't you feel like if St. John's was zero and two? This week in Creighton, you know, no matter what Creighton did against Villanova, this will be kind of a trap game because of what, uh, how much Creighton has struggled at Providence, and they haven't. That's all. What? How many places in the league haven't they won? That's one of them, right? Right. So, you know, don't you feel like this kind of set it up, set up as a trap game, no matter how the schedule played out, and that for St. John's to be two and zero and on the roll that they are, that that kind of is a, you know, that kind of is helping Creighton. You know? Oh, I I totally agree. Um, and as a fan, yeah, it makes me happy. It makes me happy for a lot of reasons because when I th- think about the season's schedule shaking out, I look at you know a Butler. I, I look at a Butler being more in contention for one of our top seeds in the Big East than a St. John's. And so by St. John's picking up, you know, um, and playing well, it's like that helps me think and envision a scenario where the Jays finished first or second or third in the league, at least a little bit more concretely, right? When you're talking tiebreakers and stuff. But then again, the flip side of that is, well, shoot, maybe St. John's is a little bit better than I gave them credit for. And this is going to be difficult or more difficult than, than I originally kind of just as a fan thought. Um, So I'm, so I'm glad that it's on my radar a little bit. I think I'm probably going to go in with, a little bit different expectation than I just did when I looked at the schedule back in September, whenever it came out and said, Oh, okay, well, whatever our record is after two games, at least we'll pick up a win at St. John's. Like, I just don't feel like it's that gimme anymore. Although all things being equal. I mean, if we talk about this being a really great Creighton team, they should win this game. Right. You're not, you're not saying by any means that this is a 50, 50 game. No, this is still a game Creighton's favored to win and should win. No, but if we shoot 28% from three-point range, then, yeah, maybe. I mean, you know. It's just possibly more of a game, more more losable of a game than you thought, than most thought, you know, when the schedule came out. That's yeah. all. I would hope that we have guards that could guard Shamari Pons and Marcus Levette, but I don't know how our post players, I don't know if Cole Huff is going to be able to sit there and rebound with um, – Bashir Ahmed and and Darian Williams and some of these guys that are putting up decent rebounding numbers um, in league play so far. So, you know, I just there's a lot of question marks and frankly, I'm excited to see how they respond. Right? Because that's doesn't the, it make you excited for every game when you're like when it feels like the result is more in doubt, it makes you appreciate the process a little bit more. I think so, and I think just it makes me appreciate. Um, you know, we we talked about how how solid the top half of the Big East was but you know DePaul gave Villanova all they wanted on opening day and Mm -hmm. the game against St. John's for DePaul was tight too Um, and I I just think that if this league you know from one to ten can be really really solid we knew that one through five one through six it was but you know it makes it that much better if that league one through ten has some teams at the bottom that they might be playing on Wednesday night in New York City but they're capable, and they can knock anybody off at any time. Yeah, so they try to break that down. I mean, so far, the only team that hasn't been in any of the Big East games so far has been Providence, right? I mean, Xavier and Butler put it on them both times. Yeah. 
But DePaul was in two close games. St. John's was in two close games. Butler's been in one close game that they lost, and obviously the Providence won. Creighton God forbid in. we go to Providence and ever win. So it's like I don't feel super confident about <laughs> that from the exactly, get. Exactly, exactly. So that's the the one team that's the one team that hasn't been competitive in any of the Big East games so far is the one team that Creighton hasn't beat on the road yet. So <laughs> right. I mean, it just feels like with the Big East, it's a lot different than. And I hate to keep bringing this up because it's like, yeah, get over it. It's been years now, but I mean. In the Valley, it felt like there were games Creighton just absolutely could not lose or the season handed, or the season just depended on St. Louis, right? I mean, yeah. the margin for error Evansville, was, what? I mean, it was pretty much, yeah, exactly. Right. One or two losses on the road, and it's like, okay, well, it's St. Louis or bust, um, or we're hosting CIT or NIT games, right? So, yeah. you know, at least the Big East has a margin for error for failure in that regard, but there isn't a margin for error for success because yeah. you can't beat on any night, so... So that said, Jay's by like 30, right? Wednesday night. Right. I mean, totally. <laughs> I mean, that's what, I mean, yeah, anytime we show any type of concern whatsoever, it's pretty much Jay's in a, a route, right? right? So obviously Jay's on the tough roadie here, not necessarily because of, if you look at the full slate of how all these teams have performed to this point, you wouldn't look at St. John's and Providence at that road swing and say that it wasn't probably the um, statistically best opportunity for the Jays to get a two-game road sweep but yep. all things being equal you just can't uh, hang your hat on that so it should be a, a difficult challenging and really intriguing week for Creighton basketball as they look to um, remain in the top half of the league you know amongst the Red Storm and whatnot and the Villanova <laughs> so, yeah I've been and uh I've been working on I'm working on this story right now on Kyrie um and I just wanted to know from your perspective and I know that from your perspective, you're behind the opposing bench, so you spend most of the time just heckling people. But from your perspective, what does it look like from watching Kyrie Thomas defend here? Because now he's had two games. He's played the reigning Big East tournament champion in Seton Hall, who, you know, aside from Whitehead and Gordon's departure, I mean, they had, you know, Carrington and Rodriguez, who Kyrie was, you know, taking turns checking all night, and then Villanova comes in with. Brunson, the National Player of the Year candidate in Hart, and the guy who had the shot hurt all around the world in Chris Jenkins. I mean, you know, as far, for, from your perspective, watching him through two games, what is it? What have you taken away from his defensive performance? Well, I love, um, I love watching Kyrie, and I love it because I see how focused he is on defense almost all the time I mean from what I can tell and what I really enjoy is after the game when I'm scrolling through my Twitter feed I can count on a tweet from you showing statistically some data to back up what my gut tells me and that's that Kyrie's locking dudes down and so like think about the five guys I just listed right and they've scored 117 points in the two games against Creighton that's how much those five have combined for yeah against Kyrie they have 13 on 13 shots with six turnovers yeah i mean i mean they don't no one's scoring this guy and it makes me super excited and it also just makes me think what this team would be like if marcus was that kind of defender right um or if not saying anything ill against marcus because pretty sure he could destroy me with just the swat of his hand but (laughs) What I'm talking about is just another guy in the backcourt or on the wing like that, right? It doesn't have to be Marcus. It doesn't have to be Cole. We know that those 
those guys right now are just aren't in that place. I think Marcus could probably get there. Um, but just that other piece, if this team had another defender like Kyrie, which is hard. I mean, like, like you said, you can't just roll out of bed one day and be like, yeah, I think I'm going to stop a, a, a solid percentage of the returning starting five from the defending national champions and consensus number one team in the nation from scoring whenever they want. That's just not something that you can will necessarily to happen. And it takes a lot of practice and his instincts are great out on the top of that. I mean, um, I watched the end of the Marquette Seton Hall game yesterday and Kadeem Carrington just, he won that game for Seton Hall down the stretch and if Kyrie's guarding him, he's not going to win that game. No. Kyrie shut him down in Omaha, and I think Kyrie could probably shut him down at the Rock or whatever they call that treacherous building out there in New Jersey. And, I, you know, I would – I think there are two things on this team that I would bet on game in, game out. It's that Maurice is going to make more good plays than poor plays right. and with a couple just jaw-dropping great plays in there and that Kyrie's going to be on his game defensively. You know, he's 0 for 5 in Big East play so far from three-point range. Um, You know, he entered Big East play not taking a ton of threes, but knocking down about 50% of them, right? Um, So what I don't want to have happen is what happened last year, where he just went completely out the window in Big East play. I don't think that's going to happen, because for all accounts, he's the most improved player in the conference, hands down. Um, but I just, I don't want to have happen this year, what happened to him last year, where some stuff offensively starts to creep in and he's picking his spots a lot better. I mean, he had some great finishes at the rim against Villanova, certainly against Seton Hall, pouring in 17 and just, he picked his spots perfectly in that game. But you talk about the full package of defense, a knack for rebounding and then being able to push, um, and then picking his spots on offense. I just, uh. You know, Justin get Justin Patton gets a lot of the press for the flashy plays, and rightfully so. He's um, he's he's really been exciting to watch. But I think Kyrie is just that X factor right now for this team. Yeah, that, absolutely. You know, I totally agree. I mean, he's the difference maker because he's the he's he's so far the one thing no one else can do, and that's just yeah. take an assignment, lock it up, and not let it score. I mean. For him, it's all for him. He just said it's about attitude, and he said everybody should have that attitude. Everybody should have the attitude of just having pride and not giving up buckets to your man. I mean, that's like it's simple to say it, and it's kind of like egotistical to think about it. But the attitude is what drives it all. If you just say you're not scoring on me, that's the fundamentals for all of it, right? And then you just got to worry about you. Yeah, so, I, I mean, mean, it helps. It, if you look at him in isolation situations this year, I mean. Uh, I think when it breaks down statistically, he's had 10 isolation possessions just where he's on an island against somebody. He has not allowed a point yet in those situations. It's All like, season. It's Rivas Island, like Kyrie right? Island, baby. Have you ever heard of such a thing? I mean, we're 14 games into the year, and he has. And think about the guys he's had to guard, and he hasn't allowed a single point on isolation situations. Not one. Zero. I mean, you know. It's analytics and whatnot. I mean, how you know you just you look at it and you try to think like, well, do they miss one or whatnot? But I mean, no, but that's that's my break, that, oh, that's my point is sounds like when you're locked onto Kyrie, you're not scoring. So far, it hasn't happened yet this year. And that's why I love 
the the data in this instance, right? Because you can make numbers say a lot of what you want them to say, but to sit there and watch him play, you get that gut feeling. You're like, wow, this guy really gets it on D, right? Mm-hmm. And he's really locking guys down. Then you turn around and you're like, you see some of the guards out there for the opponents. You're like, okay, well they, you know, they still they got theirs a little bit. But then you start to break it down. You're like, well, not on Kyrie, they didn't. Right. So yeah, they got, yeah exactly. Um. So here's a here's a question. You watch a ton of basketball, college level, but then also um, the pros, other other levels as well. Do you feel like when you have such a potent offensive team as a Jays team? I mean, for all accounts and purposes, they did not play their best game offensively at all against Villanova and still managed 70 points against the defending national champs and consensus number one team. So they've got a team that can score a lot of points very quickly. The points per possession is tremendous. Do you feel like it's hard to also have a really good defensive team because offensively they do so well and vice versa? I mean, we've seen some teams that perennially, like I'm thinking like, the Cincinnati's of the world where they grind you out on defense and statistically and with the quote unquote eye test, they're always those teams that defensively you don't want to play. Um, but then they also seem to be those teams that just when they need a bucket, when they need to run a set play out of an offensive half court situation, they just can't ever seem to really get it. Um, do you feel like you can find that happy medium or is the collegiate game just one of those where you're always going to, if you're going to be to the one extreme on one end, you're going to probably be at the other extreme. It kind of goes hand in hand a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, I understand your point there, but I mean, when you look at what golden state did last year in the NBA and granted golden state was one of the best teams of all time, but I mean, they were number one in offense and defense. So, I mean, it's possible. Yeah. It's all of it. But I mean, I think what Creighton gives away and this is why you, I think when you analyze their defense, you're going to have to be very careful about what statistics you value the most. Because let's just say – Wins. For example, That's all I care about right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so like yeah. you know, a statistic that probably isn't a valuable indicator of their defense, for example, would be points per game. Because in a Creighton game, you're getting a lot of possessions, so that gives you more opportunities to score. And then the other factor is that because of – uh, the freedom Creighton has offensively. And it's not like Greg McDermott doesn't, you know, have a system offensively. That's ridiculous. But, right. uh, you know, with the freedom that they have offensively and the way how fast they are running that thing, there are mistakes that are going to be made. And there are mistakes that they live with because they can recover from those things. So, I mean, but when you're making mistakes in the open court, you know, there's more likely a not going to lead to an easy bucket on the other end. Um, so points per, you know, points – is one that I think if you look at, like, well, Seton Hall scored 75, and Seton Hall doesn't look like they can score 60 on most nights without trouble, you know? So you're like, well, how are going to allow 75? Well, it's not not necessarily like that. For one thing, uh, Desi Rodriguez was ridiculously hot from three-point range, and he can't shoot, you know, like, I mean, just look at the way the guy shoots. Let's just be, you know. Let's be frank. Let's just, come on. I mean, that guy was ridiculously hot and not going to happen again. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's like you, you, you say that you have 75 to Seton Hall. They can't be that good defensively. You know what I mean? But, yeah, they, you know, I mean, Seton Hall, because of Seton Hall's offense. And you think, yeah, well, Creighton put up 89, though. So there was a lot of possessions in that game. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the way – that's just the way you break it down. So when you look at, I guess, the way to judge Creighton's defense, I mean, obviously – 
the points per possession stat is one you're going to look at a lot. Um, a big deal with their defense is not putting guys on the free throw line and giving them those freebie points to slow the game down, to score when the clock is stopped and things like that. So I think when you're judging Creighton's defenses, are they playing without fouling? Are they giving up a decent are – are they staying around a low number of points per possession? Um, are they forcing turnovers with all that athleticism they have because they like to gamble a little bit? You know, I think it's just it's all about the positioning and the communication and how well they're making it difficult for people. And that's really why if you want to judge Creighton's defense, it's going to be hard to do it. It's hard to do it statistically. It's hard to do it from an analytics point of view. You Really, the only way you can break it down is on film and, you know, kind of just grade guys out that way. And that's, that, you know, that's what I did with, I mean, with, with uh, watching Kyrie here. I mean, when you're watching – when you look at Carrington and Rodriguez and Hart and Brunson and Jenkins, you go, well, they scored 117 points in two games on Creighton. Those five guys, you think, who do they score those on? Kyrie, Mo, Marcus, right? Yeah. So you'd lump him Zierden. in there. Yeah. 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 So you'd lump him in. You'd lump, you'd lump Kyrie in with that, with that backcourt, right? And be, and since he's the, he's the getting primary number one scorer, you figure if those guys are going off, they went off on Kyrie. So you go back home, and you watch the game over, and you slow it down, and you break down possessions, and then you try to just chart what Kyrie has done. I mean, they're 5 of 13, those five guys against Kyrie. They only got 13 shots off, first of all. They only hit five of them. They took the ball over six times, and they only scored 13 of those 117 points on him. So you really have to do it from a film perspective. Um, and that's not, you know, I'm not trying to be Mr. Big Wig basketball mind or anything. I'm far from it. But you really have to see it to analyze it. Well, I think that. Because statistically, it's not going to be sexy. There's not going to be a sexy team defensively. No, but but coming full circle, you know, the sense I get watching them up close, not necessarily on the film, but in the real time, is that they are much more potent defensively than they ever have been under Mac. And mm-hmm. you have to go back to some of the earlier years with Dana in the middle of his run where you know they were constantly running the great press that he had and they had guys that could swipe at all positions i think you know justin doesn't get a lot of credit for you know being slight of build his knack for playing entry post uh, entry passes and the number of steals he's been able to collect and just be disruptive in a different way than maybe a traditional big bodied center would be considered from a defensive um, standpoint I think it's been really impressive I think Maurice is always applying pressure but has to lay off some of those um, opportunities probably where he really wants to go against that and go instinctively to try to go swipe at a ball because of what we saw with the Reynolds play picking up his second foul against Villanova right I mean he's got to protect himself protect himself a little bit there um, right. you know I, I just think pound for pound this team defensively is um, is really solid and just but can, but can get better. Oh, certainly. I mean, I think they, they they can have more teeth by the end of the year. I mean, as far as when it comes to blocking shots, creating turnovers, and still doing all that, and then still holding down to that principle foundation of not fouling and putting guys on the line all day. Yeah, I mean, I know that you know the armchair quarterbacks they want Martine to play a little bit more. I just don't know, like against Villanova they pump fake a ton and he just to me seems so still raw and instinctive that I feel like not 
this is just total conjecture on my part, but I feel like Martine was like a walking foul the pump faker in that scenario. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you even saw some of our better defenders get caught on it a couple times um, between Jalen Brunson and Chris Jenkins. I mean, you just yes. know that play is coming. It's so instinctive, though, to just jump yeah. at that first at the first pump. But, but at the same time, your leading shot blocker and Justin Patton, who's you know, thirteen games into his college career, forced a three second call. Yeah, I want the first possession of the game because he didn't leave his feet. So right. I mean, it's possible. It's there. It's possible, I mean, and it's there, and and that's I think that that push and pull, right? You got to yeah. get these guys experience because my follow up question here was. Um, you know, entering Big East play, you're looking at some mid twenty to high twenty minutes for Kyrie. Uh, obviously, he did he did really well in 24 minutes against Wisconsin. Um, you know, played 36 against Akron in a game that was a little bit closer down the stretch than maybe folks thought it might be. Akron's a good team though, uh, but you know, Seton Hall rolls around and he's defensively exerting a ton of energy, scoring 17 points in the other land. He's playing 34 minutes. Villanova mm-hmm. comes to town. He's at 32. You know, what other guys can step up defensively, or is Kyrie going to have to just lock it down 35 minutes a game and, and you know, also protect him, um, you know, from foul trouble as well? That's the thing. That's the thing that it kind of is a catch-22, though, isn't it, because of – I guess you mentioned that it might be affecting his offense a little bit. So, I mean, what do you – I guess what do you as a staff um, and as teammates of Kyrie want? Do you want balance there where he's maybe given more than he's getting? Like, I guess through two Big East games, or you maybe see some – you know, maybe the way he struggled a little bit offensively against Villanova. Was that worth what he was taking away from Villanova, though? You oh, certainly. I mean? I mean, so that's 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 part of the when you evaluate him individually as far as his overall performance is bottom line is he still taking away more than he's given up, and is he still give I guess he's, is he giving more than he's given up is the thing. I think whether it's... you whether you break him down offensively and say well he struggled a little bit here, but you know he also didn't let Hart get loose for thirty either. So yeah, I mean I think unequivocally the answer is you need him out on the floor as many minutes as possible because even if stuff's not dropping for him which i think it will this year he's going to prevent the other team from scoring in 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 buckets right in droves the way foster can get loose and the way watson can get loose and the way Patton can score at the rim and all the shooters they can put around those guys yeah i think it's okay to sacrifice Kyrie's offense for a game or two or five if you have to as long as he's still engaged defensively and let's be honest this year compared to last I mean, we talked about it. He's made huge strides. But, you know, you get five steals out of Kyrie. I'm going to go ahead and guess that at least two of those steals are coming the other way with him a better chance than not to finish on the other end with a transition layup or a dunk or something. You know what I mean? So I feel like he's really improved that part of his game as well. And, again, this is just kind of this whole 30, 25-minute a love letter to Kyrie Thomas that we can replay on, on <laughs> Valentine's right. Day or something. But I just – I think that <clears throat> with all of the attention paid to Maurice and Marcus and, you know, this this kind of shooting star that we're seeing with Justin too, um, I think Kyrie's the – I think Kyrie's the key. And yeah. I think these next two games especially – I mean, you talk about Shamari Pons and Marcus Levette. I mean – 
Kyrie's got to lock those guys down or one of them, you know, and he's going to draw some of those assignments against Providence too because Cartwright can, can do a lot of things on the perimeter for the Friars and they're going to be in straight-up desperation mode with a top-10 team coming to town and that building's going to be pretty fired up on a weekend. So I think Kyrie, I love his uh, demeanor and you mentioned it too, right? Like it's just that mindset you got to go out and you got to lock your guy down. I just think that he looks and seems and feels focused on the task at hand. It doesn't get too high, too low. Um, and I know that you've witnessed that a lot covering this team the last year and a half with him on it is just that, that even keel that he shows. Absolutely, yeah. He, he exemplifies it more than most, yep. All right, so we love KyrieThomas.com. That's, <laughs> that's kind of the – Kyrie fan. Renaming the podcast. So you're probably not going to like go out on a limb, right, and say the Jays are going to go one and one this weekend, two and zero oh this weekend. Like, what? What's your gut tell you? Are you going to stay away from that, or? Uh, I mean, I don't like. I don't. I'm not crazy about predictions. I think I made one at the beginning of the year that's looking pretty good right now. So. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying they are 13 and one, and I did have them 13 and one through 14 games. Now so I had them losing to Wisconsin instead of Villanova, so you can pick me apart there if you want, but. So far through 14, you know, uh, I'm dead on balls accurate so far. I like it. Uh, I'll just toot my own horn there. But, I mean, I think it's hard to say Creighton is going to go one and one when you expect them to be favored in two games. I mean, I think – but, I mean, winning on the road in this league is not going to be easy. But I think they're a better better team than than St. John's and Providence, and I don't think it's – I think when both teams are playing on the same level, like if both bring their B game or both bring their A game or both bring their C game, I don't think I think it's a lot God, separate. Let's hope they, how good. Let's just hope we don't see some C game. You'll take C game in a win though, so don't don't that's complain true. about it. No, I mean, that's you'll true. you'll take you'll take a road win in this league whether you did it with your D game or oh yeah, or whether you needed a ninety four foot full quarter to win it, you'll take it. So. Like after the buzzer, like Iowa State back at the Wells Fargo <laughs> right. Arena, right? Okay. Right. No matter what the controversy is, Thanks however it's dissected, up. if it's a W, you brought that up. I <laughs> <laughs> You'll take it. So I mean, that's just. Uh, I think that. I don't think I have to argue very much that they're capable of winning at St. John's and at Providence. So, I feel like the Jays are going to be coming back two and zero. So no, like yeah, like just be honest, like. We're we're having this podcast next week, and they don't come back to an. Oh, I'm going to be grumpy, um, <laughs> you know. But I'll have Kyrie, it, I'll have. Kyrie it doesn't take much for you to be grumpy. So that I mean, is I'm true. Sure you'll be grumpy if they beat St. John's by one and Providence by one. That is true. I mean, you, you you bring balance to the show. It's okay. I got I got some heat from my initial reactions after the game on Saturday. I mean, I was I was bummed. I didn't think that they played that well. Uh-huh. And people, you know, the moral victory police on Twitter were just all over me talking about how they stood toe-to-toe and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's fine. But, I mean, you can't argue with the fact that they sh- that their worst shooting game from three-point range of the year, mm-hmm. they, they, in effect, took a tie game with five minutes left and couldn't, you know, get stops and they couldn't make. And I don't think it's outrageous well, to say they just didn't play their best game. And, and Well, look, you're not on the roster, so – I guess the debate can be had whether you should be as hard on them as, as you are. But <laughs> but they did all agree in lockstep that they're not into moral victories, and they were all disappointed that they lost to Villanova. So See? Villanova number one, Villanova undefeated, Villanova the reigning national champs. 
Josh Hart National Player of the Year, Brunson going off, all that stuff. Man, Jalen Brunson. You, know, you, you can I know you can say mm-hmm. all that, and then still they they said all that, and yet they still felt like they should have won that game. So it's okay for you to feel that way. Too. Okay, I appreciate it. This is no my week. This is my weekly therapy. So I yeah. I, I need this. You're airing your grievances. Feel free. Okay. Um, this is going to seem like a, a pretty, you know, left turn. I know you don't really get into the recruiting stuff much. A lot was made out of Brian Bowen and a bunch of his teammates from Lumiere here uh, for the game and playing in the Corn Palace and coming back down and all of these things. What's that feel like right now as someone going to practice and seeing kids on visits and, um, you know, just what's the sense – around the program with a lot of these guys that have both committed for next year, the Mitch Ballack's and, and Tyshawn Alexander's, but then also just the bevy of names now that have four stars, five stars next to their names coming in and, and for visits. Well, wink, wink, uh, <laughs> quote unquote, quote unquote media isn't allowed to be on campus when they're on campus. So, oh, okay. Um, so you have no don't... idea <clears throat> on that one. So you have no uh, idea. You can say yeah, that. Don't. Don't, don't get anybody in trouble. Um, I, I, here's my stance on all of this, and this is why I laugh when I'm, I watch <laughs> I watch Michigan State games and I see Matt McQuaid out there just like doing his thing or whatever. And sure. uh, I'm like, that guy was at that guy was at the Providence Senior Day in 2013, 2014, and he was like, nah. Like, so my whole thing is, and I'm, I kind of get a kick out of it because there were so many top prospects at this game, right? And I don't think a lot of them are on Villanova's radar. So I don't think a lot of them are Villanova quote unquote recruits, if you will. Yeah. They're there. They're there for Creighton. Right. So here's my thing. If you're looking for a school to go play basketball for, and you were at that game, what is your negative takeaway? You know, or like, what's your better offer than that? And that's why I always laugh when, because there were what, you know, how many, however many kids were at that game, however many prospects or recruits were at that game, what, how many of them are going to say are going to be at Creighton? Maybe 5% of them, right? Right. That's the one, that's the thing that cracks me up about that is like, how do you say no to that environment? You know, what, what looks not fun about that? Right. <laughs> like, so, I mean, as far as Bowen goes, I feel like Creighton is in a really good spot with him. I feel like he's. And I don't want to. And if I say this, I know I'm gonna. I know I'm gonna eat it later. Oh yeah, for sure. But I feel like he. I feel like Creighton is the favorite to land him at this point. So at this point of the podcast tonight, where we're saying this pre, they haven't lost to St. John's or Providence. They just went toe to toe with number one, all that moral victory stuff, and played in front of eighteen thousand eight hundred fans. I feel like Bowen is. I feel like Bowen is leaning Creighton. I feel like Creighton is the favorite to land him. Now things are going to change in, sure. in, in from now until from now when we spitting the words out until he makes his decisions, things are going to change. But I feel like he, I feel like, you know, prisoner of the moment style decision making. I feel like he is leaning towards the Jays. Will he choose Creighton? That remains to be seen. But at this point, I feel like Creighton is in a really, really good position to land him. So, yeah, I mean. And that's that's as best as I can give you because the coaches don't even the coaches can't well, sure. predict it. Yeah, you know what I mean, can't, they can't that's talk really about any of that stuff. They don't know. I mean, you're talking about 17, 18, 19 year old kids. It's like, who knows what's in their head? I didn't know anything when I was that age, but um, these guys just have all these different options, and it's great to see 
them be in the building for an experience like that. Like if there's one person who knows or cares nothing about recruiting, it's my dad. But I mean, <laughs> I talked to him about it after the game. He's like, dude, if you don't, if you come to that building and you experience that and you don't want to come, he's right? like, he's like, good riddance. I don't want if, you. Like if, he's like cut you, and dry about that stuff. Through 40 minutes of that or 35 minutes of that or however long you were there. And you were like, and then you still sit down and break all the options down and go, this one's better. I feel like, I feel like you've done your homework then because there's yeah. something there's something the rest of us missed because yeah I mean I've been and what what other schools are, is he considering and this is part of the thing I think I said this on the message board too and this is part of the thing that I think bluejayunderground.com for anybody looking for oh, bluejayunderground.com yeah, yeah. go there be your, you know <laughs> don't your, use your real name but don't be your, your avatar name. self and just post yeah. whatever you want right so I feel like the thing that doesn't—I feel like that the thing that gets mentioned the most in recruiting, as far as a disadvantage for Creighton, is actually an advantage in the way they sell it. And here's what I mean: the blue crew. <laughs> you read my mind, man. Let me <laughs> let me say it, okay? Uh, no, not the blue crew. I got uh, mad love for the blue crew, dude. So anyway, but go ahead. That's yeah, I do. And someone needs to. Um, Creighton is is a small campus, right? A small college, small enrollment. By all, by all, you know, I know they get. I know it's like everybody gets bent out of shape when they get called a mid major, but it's like from the size perspective of it, I get why it's still. I get why people still say that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I laugh because I think Duke is in that argument too. When people want to talk about mid majors, like Duke is has smaller enrollment than Creighton does, so they're a small school too, mm-hmm. in, in the shadow of North Carolina, you know, of Chapel Hill. And the Tar Heels, um, but they still land big talent because you can sell that environment. You know what I mean? You can sell the Cameron Crazies, and then when you look at what Creighton has to offer, it's a small campus. But every sport you play, and every coach uses this to their advantage. Every coach recruits like this. Top-notch facilities, as good of facilities as you will have, if not better than any facilities in the country. For basketball, you'll play at the CenturyLink Center. For volleyball, you have your own home arena. Women's basketball, same case. For college baseball, you play at the home of the College World Series. Um, women, or women's and men's soccer, you play at the one of the best soccer facilities in the country, if not the best. So as far as all that goes, if you don't want to be in the shadow of football, Creighton is an elite option for you. Sure. But I've been to, you know, I just went out to Austin. Um Lawrence doesn't feel like a big campus, even though it is. But I mean, I've been to places that are big time that you feel like you get you can get lost in these places on campus. So if you don't want to stand out too much and that sort of thing, there is an appeal to being in the shadow of a big time football program. Like if you go to Lincoln or if you go to Austin, you know, and those sorts of things. But you know, if you don't want any of that and you want to be a big fish in a little pond, it's an elite option for most people in the country. So I feel like. If you know, for the Bowens and those guys that that want to be stars, that want to be big men on campus, you know, who's offering you a better option with better facilities, with better coaching, with better opportunities than Creighton? Nobody. That's the answer. No one. No one, or it's and they're at least up there. You know what I mean? So that's the thing I I, I think it doesn't get talked about enough is that people think. Omaha, Nebraska, where's that? Creighton, what is that? And I feel like there's there's a there's an advantage to being that as well. In that you don't have to like I swear, Austin, you you feel like an ant there. 
Yeah. I mean, you're walking around that football stadium is like a skyscraper. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just you just feel so little. So if you don't like that feeling, which a lot of people don't. You know, there's only so many options remaining that don't play football. Well, in so. Texas has had a, uh, a number of really, really good, if not great, basketball teams. But my cousin uh, went to UT, lives in Austin, big booster for a lot of the different athletic programs down there. And he comes to Jays games once a year, if not a couple times a year, sits down where we sit great atmosphere even if it's like an early november game and the opponent he always remarks like how are there so many people here for a crappy opponent because he'll send me pictures from from texas basketball games and they're playing a decent team and nobody's there yeah you know and it's because why why, and why are we bringing up texas right now you say well because texas is one of the four remaining teams for and i'm not throwing shade i'm just mr bowen services all i'm saying is like that's an apt comparison right now is Michigan State and Texas, you know, and Arizona and Creighton, right? Those are the four. I guess. So how right. many of those don't? How many of those don't play D one football? One. Right. So. So there you go. Something's standing out. To I'm going to come. You recruited me. I'm in. <laughs> I feel like only if I can a, live in one I, of the new dorms that was not there when I was in school. I feel like I had you on a on a on a walk on deal yeah. offer. You know. Yeah. Pretty much. Not to waste a scholarship. Because I'm not into moral victories either. So apparently I've got that going, and <laughs> I love the small school atmosphere, so I'm down. Okay. Let's get it going. We signed you up. Both of his kids coming in, what, 20 years? Yeah. Speaking of walk-ons, look at that transition, huh? How do you like uh-huh. that? That's pretty solid. It's time for Tuesdays with Tyler. I, I went ahead and, and took that, if that's cool. Do you think that no, works? No, we're good. Yeah. Okay. So last episode, uh, I think it was episode 12, we had our first installment of Tuesdays with Tyler Clement. Matt was able to touch base with the Kansas City native, talk all things Chiefs, all things uh, Creighton backcourt, forecast a little bit of the Big Big East uh, regular season schedule starting, and now you were able to catch up with Tyler again. You want to set up this about eight, ten-minute piece that you have with Tyler this time around? Yeah, so uh, obviously since the last time we talked, his Chiefs are in a little bit different position um, with clinching home field thanks to uh, Derek Carr's untimely or timely injury, depending on how you look at it, if you're a Chiefs fan or a Raiders fan. Um, I know uh, basketball video coordinator Tim McAllister is a Raiders fan, so he's not very happy how it turned out. But Tyler is, so the Chiefs are, you know, obviously have home field advantage in the playoffs, except for if they have to go to Foxborough. Um, so he was a little bit more upbeat about that, even though he was a little bit more down about Creighton losing their first game of the season. So we break down the NFL playoffs coming up here, get his predictions, get his takes, and then dissect Villanova a little bit, kind of what went wrong, um, how enjoyable it was to play in an environment like that. A little recruiting nod there if you recruiting wants just to listening. Um, and then we kind of preview a little bit of what is to come with the – their games against St. John's and Providence this week. Sounds good. As long as this doesn't become a Chiefs podcast, although it probably would help listenership. Uh, I'm a stringent Bears fan, so nobody needs to podcast about them. But well, if if it makes you feel better, your receiver said there's not much difference between you and the Chiefs. So I mean, right, Alshon or the Patriots, I should say. Alshon's smoking. So how does that make you? How does that make you feel that you went three and thirteen without being that much different than the Patriots, and they went fourteen and two? Does that make you feel better or worse? Uh, I stopped feeling things about the (laughs) Chicago Bears about a month ago, so it's fine. 
That's fair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got, I got. <laughs> I have my health to worry about. I got, here. Uh, I got the Blue Jays at thirteen and one, like some guy named Matt told me was going to be the case a couple months ago. So I'm man, just, I'm in hard. this for the ride. I mean, I'm, I'm charting out driving uh, instructions to. God knows where. It's just, can I just a pine here and vent for a couple minutes. I know this is my, my thing, I think right? But who's going to stop you? Dude, last year, the first and second, or I guess, did they switch back? They call it first and second round again now, right? For the Not NCAA it. tournament. Do they call it that now? I hope so. I hope I they can. switched it back. That whole second, third round stuff was a joke. Yeah. Um, last year, it's like Des Moines and Denver and a bunch of close cities to Omaha. Great little skip and jump throws, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's like you got Tulsa, which is a d- w- which you can make, and M- Milwaukee. But I mean, some of these cities that they're like, I'm not going to drive to Buffalo. They have to be a three or four seed <laughs> in some of these areas and get put somewhere decent because I'm not going to drive to Buffalo in March. No, Who would drive to Buffalo? Well, they're going to be playing in MSG the week before. I'm not going to come back and then go out Great. to Buffalo. Like Might as well just stay and wait and see what happens after that. Oh, right? my gosh. That would make for a great podcast on the road in, like, Schenectady, New York or something. I don't Watch know. Like... Only one more day. Watch Selection Sunday from MSG and then just figure out where you're rerouting from there. Right? That's what I did in Doug's senior year. I watched the Selection Show at some little hole in the wall in Manhattan, and I was like, wow, they're a three seed? Okay. That's super exciting. And then like, you saw Nebraska's name, and you're like, what? Why? I thought it was a joke, dude. Like, I thought. It was. <laughs> yeah, it was a joke. It was. It was um, NCAA's. It was the NCAA tournament's joke for the year. And then and then Baylor just, you know, Baylor being Baylor. How about the Bears, huh? How about that tournament in Kansas City next year? Creighton, Oof. Wisconsin, UCLA, and Baylor? Holy smokes. That's, That's why like, I was saying. Creighton's, Creighton fans, if you're listening to this, you're going to spend, get ready to spend Thanksgiving and Christmas in Kansas City at the Sprint Center because you've got that crazy tournament with Creighton, Wisconsin, UCLA, and Baylor. Did you hear all those names? That's like a mini Maui right there. That's like a Final Four this year, for crying out loud. Yeah. Right? So you're going to get a Final Four rematch this year in Kansas City for Thanksgiving next year. And then for Christmas, the Creighton Volleyball team is going to be in the Final Four down there at the Sprint Center, too. So, I mean, guys – Airbnb. I have, I have this planned out for you guys. I'm, I'm giving you your advance notice right here. He's a recruiting expert. He <laughs> is a travel expert. He's obviously a gambling expert of some sort because he's got the 13 and one down. So <laughs> Just a, a jack of all trades. <laughs> right. Okay. So we're going to hear this interview with Tyler. Then we're going to come back and talk about the only team on campus that's undefeated in Big East basketball play so far. I- I spin there. Jim Flannery's Creighton Blue Jays. So here's our next installment of Tuesdays with Tyler Clement here on the Blue Jays Bites podcast. Tyler, thanks for uh, for being to sit down again. I know it's probably a little moodier than they were last time. But on the plus side of it, before we get started on basketball, this is a better situation for you from an NFL perspective because your Chiefs did catch a few breaks. You are the division champs. You get that first round by. How does, how does that feel? That's big. Uh, we we definitely needed the rest, especially for like Justin Houston. She hasn't played the last couple games. Spencer Ware 
need that rest and then home field's big, even though we've been playing well on the road too, but it would just be nice to avoid the Patriots as long as possible. I think the last time we talked, you actually said the keys were just to get the ball to Tyreek Hill and let him go. I'm pretty sure the last two weeks, that's all they did. Yeah. Essentially. Has the coaching staff called you yet as far as well, I've been, position? Or? Yeah, I mean, I've been calling them as much as I could with my busy schedule, but um, yeah, I mean, Hill and Kelsey is who we got to need to get to the ball to. The good thing is, the thing that's encouraging is the last two games, our offense scored points going into the playoffs. And like yesterday, we put up 37 and Kelsey had one catch for 11 yards, something like that. So that's what's encouraging because the whole year the offense has been pretty bland and not really showing up, but the offense can show up. I think the biggest question mark now is just the run defense with Derek Johnson being out. So with the Super with the playoffs about to start here, are you back on the Super Bowl bandwagon or what do you I mean you do get some home field advantage, you get one yeah. game at least. I mean I think we definitely can. I think the Steelers and the Patriots are the other two like the big two biggest foes. I, I don't see anybody else coming out of the AFC but um, yeah I mean Steelers and Patriots will both be tough to win, but I think we can beat them both. But We'll see. Who's your NFL MVP this year? Um, it's close. Dude, I, mean, I might cut this interview short if you say Aaron Rodgers. No, no, I was going to say Tom Brady. I mean, you could argue Matt Ryan, too. Right. Derek Carr before he got hurt. I might see what happened to the Raiders after he got exactly. hurt. Exactly. I mean, like, I think that just from a staff's perspective, that will hurt him in that. But I think they'll give it to Bomb Trady. Yeah. Tom Bomb, Brady. Bomb Trady. <laughs> Bomb Trady. Bomb is that like we call him. Yeah. But, uh, he had like a 28-2 touchdown interception of new record. So, I mean, I don't know. I think they'll just give it to him. I don't I don't like the Zeke argument. Zeke's a stud. But I think he, I don't think he puts up that many yards in any other offensive line. But I'm not to take anything away from him. He's a stud, but I don't think he has that good a year without that offensive line. Like, the crazy stat, sorry to interrupt. This was halfway through the year. He was like not getting touched till like over two yards past the line of scrimmage, which is like unheard of for a running back. Like he was wasn't he was already getting two or three yards before he even got touched. He's yakking on like quarterbacks and safeties, but that's not hard. Yeah, it's absurd. But yeah, he's good and they're set for a while, but So who gets out of the AFC and NFC and who wins the Super Bowl? So I was back I was telling Joe Pop, our manager, um, weeks, this was like a month ago, I was like thinking about, this is when I started thinking, hey, maybe we can get to the Super Bowl. So I got the Chiefs coming out of the AFC, and I'm trying to think who could get out of the NFC, and what I was thinking about is, I think the Cowboys will somehow find a way to blow it. I can't see them getting to the, I mean, I, I can see them getting to the Super Bowl, but for some reason I feel like they'll, something will happen to them and they'll lose. So I was telling Joe Pop, I was trying to think who could come out of the NFC, I didn't really see the Falcons, the Seahawks are up and down, I was like, I could see the Giants putting together a run. So I got Giants and Chiefs, even though that could easily, Chiefs. That could easily not happen. But. So you have like New York winning in Dallas, and then Kansas City winning in New York yeah. to get there then? Like, yeah, so, I got, so New York's playing at Green Bay, and New York's going to get one there, and then they go to Dallas, beat yeah. Dallas, and then they go to Atlanta and beat Atlanta. Chiefs, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I'm hoping the Dolphins beat the Steelers, so we don't have to play the Steelers. The Steelers. Okay. Um, but... I think one way or another, the Chiefs are going to have to go to New England and get a win. Right. I think last year might help them out a little bit. The fact that they went there and lost, but no faith in Oakland or Houston to upset them for you, huh? I agree yeah, with you, but I mean, no. I mean, I, they need to have a quarterback. No. So I, especially going to Fox, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Unless Connor Cook all of a sudden is, is the next Tom Brady, I don't think they're winning in New England. So on to, yeah. on to 
on to basketball here. Um, I guess it was yesterday a mental health day for you guys, even though you're you know you're in the heart of the season here and you probably don't need one of those yet. But I mean, as far as how much was invested in the Villanova game and how disappointed almost everybody seemed after that loss, yeah. did you guys need yesterday to kind of just yeah, it, it was definitely probably good just kind of regroup. I mean, like you said. It, we had kind of been looking at that game for a while. Not that we were looking ahead or anything. We wanted to take care of business before that game. But as soon as we got to that matchup and both were undefeated, we would have liked to have won that game. But, yeah, like you said, luckily we got yesterday to kind of regroup and we got to focus for a good St. John's team now. I mean, they're playing really well lately. So we can't let one loss turn into two or three. We got to just regroup and get back on the winning track. What stood out to you as far as reasons you guys didn't, you know, say get the job done against the number one team in the country but I mean that you didn't finish that game out or get that win it seemed like it was a lot of the little things the yeah things that you guys prepared for yeah um, like you said a lot of little things I mean because we're it's a back and forth game the whole game and it's like I think it's 63-63 and we just had a couple little defensive errors um, down the stretch and then I think more than anything the difference was just we didn't hit kind of some shots at some key moments we were 6 for 24 from 3 but we had a bunch of good looks where we when it was either tied, I think we had three straight possessions when it was tied, and then we're down by three. We had a couple open threes, and just in and out. We had been making those shots, I feel like. And, you know, we had a couple more threes were right there. But uh, they hit tough shots down the stretch, and we didn't. I think that's kind of the ultimate factor. Yeah, it seems like today was a, a good energy from the team overall, coaches, players all across the board. Were you, were you pleased with what you saw of everybody and how they how they hit the floor today and how they responded yeah, I mean, uh, we had, we definitely needed just to, like you said, because we had a bunch of little mistakes defensively uh, that we hadn't been making, so a lot of it today was just kind of getting back to doing what we were doing, especially on the defensive end. Um, you know, sometimes shots aren't going to go in, so that's where we got to rely on our defense and rely on being, like, consistently, de- consistent defensively. Um, so that was kind of what the focus was. You could tell early in practice was a lot of defensive focus, but, uh, yeah, uh, the energy was good in practice today. I'm sure you haven't watched much, much of Providence, but uh, you know, your next two matchups here on the road this week, what do you see out of St. John's and Providence that uh, you know that you expect to face matchup-wise, you know, this week? Yeah, um, yeah, I've seen a little bit more of St. John's. Um, obviously, they got the two freshman guards that are scoring two lefties for them, um, but they got a pretty good balance offensively in the starting lineup. I think there's like four guys that shoot over 40% from three or something. I got four or five guys. So. Uh, they're a little different team than what we've seen from them in the past, and so we've got to really contain those two guards. And then, um, as far as Providence goes, I haven't seen a whole lot of them, but I know that we've only beat them like one time, and since we've gotten to the Big East, so they're going to be tough, especially there. Their uh, crowd usually pretty good there, so hopefully we can get two road wins this week. Your career's you know, as far from over, obviously, but um, were you able to enjoy that atmosphere at all as a college athlete? I mean, where does that? Saturday's atmosphere rank on as far as like games you've competed and experienced. Yeah, that was definitely one of the coolest things I've been a part of. I I definitely try to uh, take a step back and appreciate things like that when I can because that's kind of why I came here in the first place. But when we came out after the game video at like the four or five minute mark, whatever that is, that that was unreal. That was was a cool feeling. The whole game was awesome. It would have been nice to win, obviously, but yeah, our crowd was amazing and that was really cool. I think my favorite game, my favorite crowd to be a part of, obviously we would have liked to win. But other than, other than that and like the Marquette game, the very first one, mm-hmm. three years ago, 
and work on the two biggest atmospheres I can remember being here. So yeah, it's been awesome. Thanks a lot, Tyler. Appreciate you sitting yeah. down. Good luck on the road this week. Yeah, thank you. Good cheese. All right, Matt. Thanks for that interview. Always good to hear what Tyler has to say. Um, his Chiefs get a weekend off. That's good. It won't compete with their game against Providence. Not that he wouldn't be locked in, but uh, yeah. So Tyler hopefully gets some minutes this week. That would mean the Jays are in a good spot, or it would mean that Maurice is in some foul trouble. But either way, hopefully he gets some minutes. And you always had to go. You always had to. The negative spin is always there. Right? <laughs> You're always ready to bean someone in the head with a fastball. Well, shouldn't have been that close to the plate. That's yeah. right. Uh, God, I can't wait to start talking baseball with you too. Any idea when the baseball schedule is going to be out, Matt? I think the road schedule's. <laughs> I think the road schedule's on GoCreighton.com. Go okay, that just... helps. If you wanted to take some road trips to. Hey, man! Middle of February, Birmingham, Alabama. What do you think? Yep. A baby. UAB baby. I don't know where else. I don't know where else I'd rather be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Lawler's Custom Sportswear sponsoring the show give them a huge shout out i know things have been super busy there the last couple weeks with the holiday rush just want to send them a thanks and a big shout out saw a lot of lawler's gear walking the halls and the concourses at the uh seton hall and villanova games always good to see people sporting their holiday gear um but just wanted to drop another word to jays fans as everybody you know continues to pile more and more clothing onto the bandwagon that's heading down this track uh, the next two months, make sure you stop at Lawler's, any of their locations to pick up some gear, send some gear to your friends that are out of town uh, but don't have really good options. But just, again, wanted to thank Lawler's for stepping up and being behind the podcast and being the outfitter for WBR for all intents and purposes. So thanks, Lawler's. And it's getting cold outside, so if you need you know, some extra layers. We all do. If you need some extra Creighton Blue Jay layers. They'll help. Or if you're on 84th Street and you're just chilly and you want to go inside, Lawler's <laughs> is right there. It's a warm building. And then, you know, buy some Creighton gear, all that kind of stuff. There's that's a, that's a different bowl there, on. There's a plenty there of Music City Bowl t-shirts that they'll probably sell you for cheap that you could just, like, light on fire to keep your hands <laughs> warm. Um, Man, how about the Big Ten in bowl games? Woof. Yeah, woof. They showed up for those. Hey. Nebraska ball though picking up a couple couple dubs to make our uh, yeah top fifty RPI like, team now wow. isn't that nuts? How, how what's the latest in a season Nebraska's been a top fifty RPI win for Creighton over the last twenty years or so since it's been happening? Oh. This has to be getting close, right? Yeah, because I'm trying to think back even to that run in 2013. I mean, they yeah, won they a ton of games down the stretch, and they yeah. still were on the bubble. I mean, they. Yeah. I don't think they were top. And now I'm going to have to look that up, and now I'm going to feel weird and dirty about it. <laughs> Thanks a lot, I'll man. Do it. I'll, I'll do it. Okay. You. I'm just well, saying, good old, good old Nebraska ball. I'm sure this is the earliest in the year that they've wanted a rematch with Creighton, so let's, let's give them that. And hopefully we don't get it, because if we do, that means it's like Why? shades hopefully of the – Hopefully do. The, <laughs> that was the thing in San Antonio. That was that year. Everybody was like, please don't Nebraska again. I was like, why? Wouldn't it, Wasn't it fun watching Doug just – Light up to Rampetaway like that. Like who was the coaching staff wanted that over Baylor? I mean, well, in hindsight, everybody. What was, does. Your, what was your option there? No, I mean like this is going to sound really just kind of <laughs> neophyte, but I always want to see the Jays play teams that they haven't played before. 
no, and, or played recently. Like we get the lick of that ice cream cone every year. We know what Miles is going to run. We see this stuff. They recruit the same kind of guys. You know, whatever. <laughs> it's like when they kept rolling out Fresno State every other year, whether it was in the bracket buster or just in the home and homes. Like I got tired of that man. Like I just don't want to see them show up again. All I'm just saying, I'm saying is March is about surviving and advancing, and if that means Creighton plays Towson, Gardner Webb, uh, Gardner Webb, yeah. all the way to the national title game where they then play like Kentucky or something like that's, you're totally going to be fine with that national title if you play no blue bloods on the way. If the Jays can be wearing white uniforms every step of the way, or if they decide to bust out those like graphite gray ones. I kind of uh-huh. thought they were going to do that against Villanova. I don't know if that's in the mix for them this year or not. I thought that would, that I'm might. Glad get... went, I'm glad. I'm glad they went blue stripes instead of. The... Oh, aren't those uniforms just sweet? The blue stripes. Yeah. Oh man, those are dope. Okay, enough of me trying to sound like a, a hip, uh, younger person with the dope <laughs> use. But um, God, Jim Flannery's got the Blue Jays firing, right? Incredible, right? I mean players just dropping like flies and they won't stop winning i've never seen anything like it i mean the injuries they're having are huge by the way right i mean recap, recap those for oh, folks yeah. yeah i guess we should tell everybody what's going on huh? they're like what injuries right. <laughs> women's basketball is going on what? what i felt like we've we've talked about this in the last couple episodes we really have not treated them more than kind of an afterthought with the women's volleyball run and the soccer you know usual commentary and men's basketball and stuff so but we need Flan to know just how much we, you know, pay attention and, and try to cover his, his team. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, recap a little bit of where things are physically um, for these Jays as they kind of start to get into the teeth of the, the conference schedule here. Let's break it down by injury type. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll start with concussions. Uh, concussions. Olivia Elger had a concussion early in camp. Um, I think she had a couple, actually. So she's kind of in that position where they're, they'd like to redshirt her and keep a year of her eligibility, just because she's a little she got a little bit behind and and that sort of deal. So she's not technically out because of injury, but anymore. But they're just the plan right now is to redshirt her. Okay. Uh, obviously, a sophomore guard who's she's a left-handed shooter. She's a decent scorer. Um, struggles a little bit defensively, communication-wise. But I mean, don't we she, all? She can, yes, exactly. She can get some buckets for sure, so um, she'll be an interesting piece to watch as far as how she develops. Um, they obviously know Brooke Kissinger, the Illinois transfer, is sitting out the one-year transfer and sit type of deal. Um, uh, Allie Green, sorry, I got a text message right there. It threw me off for a second. Was, um, it, Brian, Green, was it Brian Bowen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, I have committed. Uh, he's somehow listening um, live to this, right, exactly. Yeah. Um, Allie Green, who got off to a pretty good start this year, um, was giving Creighton some good minutes off the bench at, you know, that four or five position, that post player position. Uh, she had microfracture surgery actually. So she's out for a little bit. Um, and they're not quite sure what she might bring them the rest of the year, but it's looking like she's probably out for the season. Um, she might be back before them, but I think the plan is to try to, to redshirt her as well. Um, and then Jade Owens had surgery on her hip. Um, I think she tore a ligament in her hip. It was a little bit, and for her, it was a little bit difficult of a situation because they really didn't uh, diagnose that injury correctly the first time. I think they were thinking it was a groin at first, and then it turned out to be a hip injury. And 
she tried to practice through it and get through it, but, um, you know, just wasn't able to get pain-free enough to the point where she could be effective, and then she ended up having um, surgery right the night of the, the night they played Kansas, I think it was the night she had surgery, so um, that put her out for the season. Um, and then MC McGrory suffered a concussion late in the blowout win over Nebraska, um, which is, you know, if you followed kind of her career, you know that concussions have been an issue for her. So it was one of those, you know, what what is this worth to you really to, you know, if you continue to suffer these things, you're, you're risking your long-term health versus, what, 20 or so basketball games left. So, you know, she had to make that tough decision to, you know, kind of retire from basketball because of those injuries. That's kind of the unfortunate situation she faced, and uh, but man, it's a huge. That's a that's that's a monstrous loss for Creighton. Um, even though they are having success still and they're winning games, that is a huge loss because she's you know, she was the number one option on dead ball situations, late shot clock situations. I mean, if we're drawing up plays as far as a person who can go get a bucket when the time is ticking down, that's NC Rigori and the run she had last year in Chicago to oh. get them to get them on the brink of an NCAA tournament when they were under 500 going into the conference tournament. I mean, she was just nails for them. I mean, just one of the toughest kids I've ever covered in any sport. I mean, she puts her body on the line. And uh, unfortunately, that style just kind of came back to bite her before her career could wrap up in a, in, a, in a fashion that she would have hoped. So, you know, she's been around the team. She's still, you know, been MC life. She's still been in good spirits. Um, you know, she's not kind of throwing pity parties and things like that, which is, you know, which has been good to see. She's had a good attitude about it, but it is really unfortunate that, you know, kind of like Carly Tritz, that she doesn't get to, uh, you know, kind of write the ending of her career, you know, on, on her terms, you know, physically, where it just it just became to the point where it was just it wasn't worth it anymore. And, you know, when you're dealing with concussions, that's something you want to mess with because that has long-term, long-lasting effects. So it was pretty unfortunate. But, yeah, that's uh, kind of where Creighton sits with the injury situation. But it hasn't affected their performances. I mean, they keep on... They keep on trucking away. I think they've won eight of the last nine since around Thanksgiving. Um, and they started 3-0 in league play, beat Butler and Xavier at home, and then went to Marquette last night and absolutely whipped the Golden Eagles in, a, in probably one of their best performances I've seen in the last few years. Yeah, Brienne Rollerson, career-high 22 that night, but everybody was hitting, it seemed. Um, I know the game was decently close around halftime, but really – Midway through third quarter on, they just put on the put on the gas and and pulled away. It was fifteen, sixteen, seventeen points there for what seemed like gosh an eternity in the second half. Yeah, it was pretty impressive. Uh, I guess there were five starters in double figures, and um, all five starters were in double figures. Sydney Lamberty had twelve assists, which is not only a career high before for her, but also um, the most assists any Creighton player has had since January of 1994. Jeez. Yeah, so it's been a while. I mean, she was, if you want to know how long ago that was, she was uh, two years from being born. (laughs) Oh, that's how long it's been since a Creighton player has done that. Since a Creighton player has done that. And uh, so she was, she had an impressive night and, uh, 
you know, Marissa Janney had an all-around type of performance. Um, I think she had 12 points, pulled down seven boards, um, had seven assists. Um, she's been playing really well. I think in league play, she's averaging 16 points, six rebounds, six assists. So she's kind of, she's kind of quote unquote back from you know the injury she sustained last year and looking like her, her old self that that won a, that won a player of the year in 2013-2014. So next up is DePaul, who got a scare from Providence um, last night as well, but they did beat the Friars at home. So the two preseason number one teams in the Big East will square off Wednesday night in Chicago. Now the only two remaining unbeaten's in the in Big East play, so it'll be for first place early on here. And uh, yeah, DePaul's a little banged up too. I mean, they don't have Jessica January, who's the preseason player of the year. She's out with a broken finger, and they're missing another one of their starters as well. So it's kind of going to be a battle of mash units on on Wednesday night. So we'll see who who's able to pull it out. And then after that, Jays come home for two home games, Georgetown on Sunday and then Villanova a week from tonight. We're recording this on this on Tuesday the 3rd, so Villanova on Tuesday night, January 10th, and three roadies for the Blue Jays. Sir, they're in the mix of five road games out of seven, um, which will you know benefit them there toward the end of the season because they'll have – a nice three-game homestand in mid to in mid February before going on the road to Xavier and Butler before the the Big East tournament, and I know that that's something we're kind of looking forward to, Matt. I think you know we're working hard to make sure that you can cover the Big East tournament in Milwaukee March fourth through the seventh, and then head on over to MSG after that. So um, it's crazy to think that's only really two months away from now. Uh, yeah, hopefully things slow down a little bit, and we can. Kinda... <laughs> Let's try to enjoy the season as it plays out before. Uh... But oh, you know, all oh, that volleyball tournament was a whirlwind, so it's kind of nice to have two sports to chill out with, and just kind of like slow yeah. the season down a little bit. Well, maybe they'll never even announce home baseball games, and we just don't. We just won't have that to cover. I guess. That's, oh yeah, yeah that's I one guess. thing that could happen. That's possible that Creighton won't decide to use the best facility. <laughs> no, <laughs> that, recru- we, that recruiting pitch I just used just goes out the window right there. Right. Uh, what TD Ameritrade Park? No, I think you know we've already got that scheduled. Anybody that hasn't been, I know that seating can be limited, but that's because it's a really good time and and a lot of people turn out for the baseball steak fry. The end of January every year, I think. The last couple of years and this year, it's at Field Club of Omaha. So if you're in Omaha and you're listening. Uh, they got a nice little wrinkle this year planned. I think Pat Vendetti and Darren Ruff will bo- both be in attendance and signing some gear. Uh, nice. Two current uh, Creighton Major League Baseball players. And then Ed always uh, Ed Service always does a really nice breakdown of, uh, of his roster and introduces the guys and just a really good, really good way to get your mind settled in for the fact that it's only January, but baseball's, you know, usually when that, that steak fry, they're only a couple weeks away from their first road trip. So always one of those fun things as a Northern baseball school to see snow on the ground and know your team's going to head off and play some games. But, um, yeah, Matt, we'll have at least four or five weeks here where we've got two focal points, uh, Flans team, Max team, both looking like, uh, barring some sort of crazy collapses that they'll be in the mix um, for both 
uh, league titles here in the next right. couple of weeks. So should be fun. Should be exciting. Yeah. Good time to. It's a good time to settle in with some Creighton basketball, especially when they're both doing well. So totally agree. Cool. So when everybody's listening to this, Jay's men's team will be in Karnaseka Arena on Wednesday night, 7.30 Central Time tip on Fox Sports 1, Blue Jays and St. John's Red Storm. And then this weekend, the Jays are out east still, Providence against the Friars Saturday afternoon. And like we mentioned, uh, women's team plays DePaul Wednesday night in Chicago. Uh, I think that's on Big East Digital Network, if I'm not mistaken. Um, let's see here. Kansas just beat Kansas State 90 to 88 at the buzzer. Did they hit a buzzer? Yeah. Oh, drove, drove it's the Slovakian. Drove the length of the floor and laid it up uncontested. Nice. Where's Justin Patton when you need him, Bruce? Come on. <laughs> Marcus Foster. No, Justin Patton protecting the rim, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right, with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off. Matt, thanks for joining tonight again, as always. Thanks for having me. All right. We're going to go ahead and call the night. Everybody, thanks for listening. Have a great night, and go Jays.